more blessings to you all. Uh, we thank you for coming out again for those uh, who are here, whether this is your first time here, whether you've been with us for a while, we welcome you uh, to City Light Church. It is always a blessing. I know you hear me say that Sunday after Sunday. It is always a blessing to look out and to see your faces and to share this time uh, with you. So we thank you for being here. For those who are watching for, from wherever you might be watching, whether you're at home right now or at work uh, or you're seeing this next week, we thank God for you joining us as well on this morning. Uh, if you've been with us uh, over the last few weeks, you know that we've recently started a new series that we're calling the Grom and Glory of the Church, kind of an oxymoron, right, uh, as you hear it. But it's, it, it, it's fitting because we are sinners, right? We are wrapped in flesh, and it is uh, only through God and through Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross that we have been made the family of God, the church. Uh, and so it's really fitting, the title. Our assignment for this morning is 1 Corinthians 3. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, uh, you can go ahead and go there. Show of hands, how many of us have streaming services? Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all that good stuff. Uh, keep your hands up if you have more than one. More than two. More than four? Amen. All right. How many you got? Five. Praise the Lord. Uh, when you first set up your streaming services, uh, oftentimes they ask you questions about your favorite genres or favorite movies that you've seen, sometimes even your favorite actors. And they do these things uh, because based on your choices, based on your preferences, they suggest uh, shows and movies for you and your streaming experience is now customized for you based on your preferences. Many of us have multiple streaming services as we see because sometimes you go to one, you might sit down and turn on Netflix and you're flipping and you're flipping and you're flipping and you see nothing that you prefer to watch, right? So what do you do? You conveniently move over to Hulu and you stream and search for something that you would prefer to watch. But it's not just our streaming services. My family re recently switched over from C Spire to AT&T and new uh, service carrier means new phones, right? And with the new phone, guess what you get to do as you go in and set up your phone? You get to customize what's on your home screen and the different apps and other functions in the phone based on your preferences. In March of last year, uh, because I, I traveled for work and I was driving this F-150 that was burning up $50 a, uh, every other few days and and gas, and I bought this luxurious, hyper-performance sports car called a Toyota Prius. That's my only joke. Her name is Pepper. I love Pepper. She costs $25 to fill up or less, depending on gas prices. But guess what I was able to do getting this new car? I was able to set up FM and AM, not that I really use AM, but satellite radio stations based on my preferences. And I can press a button and it'll automatically go to that station so that I can quickly get to the music that I want to listen to. 
It allowed me to connect my phone to the car and customize other things and functions like when the lights come on and when the lights go off or does the, does the, the doors lock when I put the car in drive? Do they lock? Do they unlock when I put the car in park? Or do they stay unlocked until I physically lock them? All these different things I could go in and set up according to my preferences. I love this feature. They even have where you can uh, adjust or where the car will automatically adjust how loud the music is based on your acceleration or deceleration. And if you've ridden with me, you know I like my music and sometimes I have a tendency to play it a little too loud. But all these things are based on my preferences. And this catering to preferences isn't just limited to our streaming services or our phones or our cars. If you have social media, your Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, your TikTok, or whatever you may have, can also be customized to show you only what it is that you want to see. But it goes even farther than that. Anybody shop at Kroger? Has Kroger ever sent you a coupon for Crest? If they know you buy Colgate. No. They send you coupons based on your preferences. And they know what those preferences are because they track everything we buy on our nifty little Kroger savings card. Normally we would see our preferences as a good thing. Right? I mean, I love my streaming services. I, and we probably have more than Matt. We probably have more than five. But I love my streaming services, I love my phone and my coupons and the fact that I can adjust all these things according to my preferences, but we are creatures of habit. So if we, uh, or rather since we are able to customize our experiences and lean toward our preferences everywhere else in life, would we not also look to customize our experience and lean to our preferences in the church? How does that work? How does that work when we come to God's house and we lean to our preferences and we look to customize our experience? Well, the short answer is it doesn't. It doesn't work. The church is governed by uh, uh, the principles set forth by God in his word. He set Christ as the head of the church and he set uh, uh, forth servants to, to, to lead and to shepherd. So what happens when our preferences collide and clash with God's principles? We get division. Whenever our principles collide and clash with God's principles, we get division. And if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably had the opportunity to see this play out. And the crazy thing is, it's not always over something serious. Churches will divide over carpet color. Over chairs versus pews. Churches will divide over hair and clothes and makeup. Over the styles of music that we sing. Over inst what instruments are played in the church. Over service times and the lengths of those services. The sad thing is, family, we don't seem to really need a valid biblical or theological reason to divide. We simply need to have different preferences. We've certainly seen how much division has been front and center uh, in our country and in the church over uh, the last recent years. 
from the division of party lines surrounding the presidential uh, campaigns and presidential election to the widespread, uh, widespread effects of COVID and the continuous arguments even to this day, whether it's real or not. Mask versus no mask, most recently vaccine versus no vaccine. It seems almost as if we take every opportunity to open the door to division. And maybe we'd feel differently if uh, all this wasn't taking place, or rather if all this was taking place outside of the church. But family, you and I know, because we've seen it, some of the most divisive behavior and some of the most harsh language has come from those we call family. Our brothers, our sisters, those who are a part of the church, those who have allowed their preferences to collide and clash with God's principles. But this issue isn't a new one. In 1 Corinthians uh, 1, chapter 10, we find these words. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. The church in Corinth is having issues with their preferences. But it's not over streaming services because, of course, they didn't have any. It's not over their cars or their phones or carpet or music or makeup. The church at Corinth is struggling over teachers of God's word. While their struggle may be different from the ones that you and I experience, the results are very much the same. They're leaning towards preference, created division among them. In our text this morning, Paul is speaking into this division. And as he speaks, we get a view of the church and her struggles, the church and her savior, and the church and her service. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, excuse me, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollo, Apollo, excuse me, Apollo Creed. Are you not being merely human? Paul's addressing them as brothers has been repetitious. Again, if you've been with us through the uh, last few weeks in our time together in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. And again, in verse 11, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that it is quarreling. There is quarreling among you, my brothers. Verse 26, for, I cons- for consider your calling brothers. And again in our text this morning, chapter 3, verse 1, but I brothers. I believe this address is very intentional. It's almost as if Paul is trying to remind them who they are. Like the Snickers commercial. 
Jim is wigging out all over the place. He's breaking stuff and acting all out of character. And his friends say, hey, Jim, here, have a snicker. You're not yourself when you're hungry. While brothers at the church in Corinth are not themselves, they are acting out of character. So much so that Paul says, I could not address you as spiritual people. I couldn't address you as people who have been regenerated, people who are spiritual, people who have been enlightened by the Spirit and who walk in the influence and grace and gifts of the Spirit. He says, but instead, I had to address you as people of the flesh. People who are not strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, but people who are weak, who are frail, who are walking in imperfection, carnality, and worldliness. He says, I had to treat you as infants. As people who are unlearned, unenlightened, and unapproved. You aren't who you should be, and it shows. How? How is this showing? What is Paul's evidence? What is his charge, or what is his proof, his evidence of the charge against the people that they are not spiritual, but of the flesh? Verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? These two words, especially for us who have been walking through Galatians, should stand out to us because we see these two words in Galatians 5, verses 19 and 20. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These brothers who Paul couldn't address as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Key words in there being in Christ. They're struggling with their identity. And their struggle is affecting the entire church. Paul continues in his reasoning of why he couldn't address them as spiritual in verse 4 saying, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another Apollos, and uh, uh, excuse me, are you not being merely human? In other words, you are not walking, uh, in other words, excuse me, are you not walking in the works of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit? Giving them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they didn't see their actions as offensive. After all, in verse 5, it tells us that these uh, are, are servants through whom they believed. Do you remember the person that shared the gospel with you? When you believed, I do. And I, and I do hold that person in, in high regard, but here's the problem. Going back to Galatians 5, verse 14 says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Listen. Only do not use your freedom as opportunity, as an opportunity for the flesh. The issue wasn't that they were grateful for how God used Paul or Apollos or Cephas uh, uh, to bring them uh, to Christ, to share the gospel with them. The issue was that they tried to make their own experience more significant than, this, than the experience of others. Excuse me. Got braces and it's still hard to talk with them. The issue was that they were discounting and belittling their brother's experience 
if they didn't have that experience with the person who taught them. Yes, they had the gospel, and yes, because they had the gospel, they had freedom, but they used that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as an opportunity for division. Have you ever used your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? I have to really think about this. Have you ever used your salvation or the church you attended or the grace of God keeping you from a particular sin as a means of telling others you and I are not the same? Have you ever found yourself not quite yourself, and that is not who God has called you to be, but uh, uh, used a product of God's grace in your life as a means of separating yourself from others? If your answer is yes, then Paul would say, at least in that moment, you're of the flesh. You're not acting as spiritual people. When we are not ourselves, when we find ourselves knee-deep in struggle, our simple course, or rather our course, is simple. We turn to God. Look with me at verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul says, hey, brothers, focus. Lift your gaze. You got to look past Apollos. You got to look past Paul. You got to look past Cephas. I love the fact in the text that he says, what is Paul? Not who. What is Paul? These men are not celebrities. They are servants. Servants that the Lord assigned. So even though they labored among you, God is the one who is responsible for the fruit of faith and repentance in your life. Not these men. Verse 7 says, so neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. There's only one who gets credit. There's only one who gets the glory. And that one is the one who brings change, the one who brings the growth. God gives the increase. So when you give your testimony, and you should give your testimony, Who's the hero in your story? Is it the person who shared the gospel with you? I've heard testimonies where every word that came out of the person's mouth was pastor, pastor that. Never any mention of God, never any mention of the Son or the work of the Spirit. Are you the hero of your story? Have you heard this one before? When I came to Christ. You didn't come to Christ. I didn't come to Christ. None of us did. And Ephesians 2 paints the perfect picture of our condition and our transition. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you, we, excuse me, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were children, excuse me, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
Here's the change. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together, excuse me, with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Dead men don't come to Christ. Dead men don't do anything. They're dead. In every story of salvation, in every story of deliverance, God is the one raising dead men to life. God is the hero. Um, does that mean that your labor or the labor of the, whoever is out there sharing the gospel with others uh, uh, is in vain? Of course not. 1 Corinthians 3 and 8, he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 tells us that we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God not only desires that we labor, God prepared labor for us that we should walk in them. But God is the one who assigns the labor. And God does indeed reward our obedience, but the growth and the glory are God's alone. Words concerning labor uh, bring us to the next portion of our text. Look with me at verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, day, capital D, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work uh, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he shall receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do not, do you not know, excuse me. That you are God's temple and that, and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul says, according to the grace that God has given me. This is a portion of our program where we have audience participation. Who assigns labor? God does, Right? He says, like a master, skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Does this statement make much of Paul or much of God? God. It speaks of God because God gave the grace through which Paul labored. Verse 11 says, what is this foundation? Oh, excuse me, rather. And verse 11, Lord, help me. Now, give me just a second. It skipped all the way to the bottom. But rather, what is this foundation that Paul is talking about in verse 11? Jesus Christ. 
Christ crucified. You remember that from a couple of Sundays ago? 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 1, And when I, excuse me, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not proclaim, excuse me, let me start over. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Does all of our labor look the same? No. Paul says, I laid the foundation and another one builds on it. Verse 6 says, I planted foundation, Apollos watered, he's building on the foundation. Who gave the increase? God did. So what was Paul's word concerning, excuse me, so what was Paul's word to the church at Corinth regarding their labor? Verse 10, let each one take care how he builds. He goes on to talk about one's work being tested and rewards versus suffering loss. So why is it important that we take care of how we build? Because what you do affects the body. As you labor in the church, everything that you do affects the body. And how do we know this? Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's not talking about individuals here. And we know that from verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields, God's building. The church, the collective is the temple. And the one that destroys the temple with works of the flesh with their preferences, with jealousy, with strife, with division, him God will destroy because of what he's doing to the body. One final admonishment from Paul. Excuse me before I go to that. This came to mind. Scripture talks about Offending his little ones. Again, thinking that everything that you do affects the body. Think of how seriously God takes this. He says, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck than toss it into the sea. Think about that. That's how seriously he affects how seriously he take he how seriously he takes what we do and how we affect his church one final admonishment from paul that he gives to us to be people of the spirit look with me at the last few verses 18 through 23 He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. This is a call to forsake any principles, any preferences, excuse me, 
a call to forsake any preferences that would collide with God's principles. It's a call to forsake worldly wisdom for godly wisdom. A call to look to and to trust in the one who has graciously given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. A call to look to the one who gave gifts. According to uh, Ephesians 4 and 11, he says, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Not for our boasting. Not to create division in the church. Not to divide us. But the scripture goes on to say, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, um, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So yes, Paul writes giving words of correction, but he bookends his correction with words of comfort, encouragement, security in the one who holds us all in his hands. He greets us as brothers, and then he says, all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Our encouragement is in the fact that although we struggle and family, we know you. We, we know us. You know you. We all struggle, but although we all struggle, our God has graciously given us his son. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his perfect life, we have a means of getting past moments when we find fault in our flesh. So let us be people of the Spirit. Let us be mindful to give God glory for those that He chooses to use to labor among us. Let Him give glory should He choose to use you to labor among someone else. Let us take care how we build in whatever grace that God has given to us, knowing that God will give an account, will cause, require that we give an account for how we affect the body. And let us remember to always look to God, the author and finisher of our faith, who has graciously given us all things. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you.